All right. Are you ready to hear the best preacher in my family? Here she is. I love you, Marky. Give her a hand. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. It's such a privilege to be in the house of the Lord together. I was standing back here. Sometimes Mark and I sit back there with all of the little kids. And um, as I was worshiping the Lord, I also sometimes look around. <laughs> and just, um, I felt like my heart was just so full to see all of us as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have some spiritual mamas and daddies here with us. And I just sensed God's um, pleasure over us. And I also really felt like when we were worshiping that maybe someone here today um, needed to hear that Jesus is your shepherd. So I don't know if there's anyone here that that resonates with you, but I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak that to someone today, that Jesus is your shepherd. I'm so excited to continue our series today. Um, and uh, during Christmas time, I got a special cookbook. So my mama gave me two cookbooks. And one of them had a really delicious recipe in it that I wanted to make for my family. And it was called Green Chili Chorizo Queso. That sounds good, doesn't it? Green chili chorizo queso. Now, um, and it, so I made it for a family gathering during New Year's and had to get a special, a bunch of special ingredients that I don't normally keep on hand. How many of you know that that fake cheese is expensive? So it was kind of spendy and very labor intensive. And at the very end, one of the finishing parts of the recipe was to pour some half and half into the um, chili green chili trees. Okay, so you know if there's half and half involved and fake cheese involved, this is going to be something good, right? So I'm standing over my cast iron um, skillet and I'm pouring in some half and half and I'm expecting it to be really creamy and luscious and a steady creamy stream of half and half. And instead, what it was, was a big curdled blobby mess that plopped right in the middle of all of those expensive ingredients of my green chili chorizo queso. Now, thankfully, I have a really great sous chef in Mark, and he was hovering, I mean helping, in the kitchen. <laughs> he was helping me in the kitchen. I'm like, oh my goodness, here's a big blob of curdled mess in, in the green chili chorizo queso. And so he very painstakingly, as Mark often does, stood there with me and pointed out every single little blob of half and half so that I could get it out. And um, my family was none the wiser. I just added a little bit more milk and it was good, wasn't it, family? They didn't realize that that happened. They're giving me gross looks like, what? I, I didn't know that's what happened with that, with that uh, queso. Um, <clears throat> Our family loved it, I'll make it again for sure, but that got me to be thinking about prayer. Wondering, that expired half and half got me to be thinking about prayer, wondering do my prayers, do our prayers ever expire? Do they go bad or become unusable? Do they cease to become valid after a certain period of time. I want you to keep that question in mind as we go through the message today. Like Mark mentioned, we are 14 days into our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're asking God for some big things. We're asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking and praying for him to move 
move in ways that only he can for him to heal and deliver and save, restore, bless, and provide. As we begin this last week of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want to look at a story in the book of Acts that will both prayerfully, it it will both teach us and then also inspire us in regards to prayer. So before we jump in, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and that you are working and moving, and we ask that you would speak to each one of us what it is that you want us to hear. And Lord, we want to hear not just for information, but for for application and life change. May you be honored and glorified here today. And we pray these things in Jesus's name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts starts out with Jesus coming back to life, ascending into heaven, telling his disciples to stay and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does indeed come on the day of Pentecost and the church is born. The early followers of Christ in the early chapters of the book of Acts are causing quite a stir in um, the um, in the Jewish circles because they're living both counterculturally and they're also allowing the Holy Spirit to do amazing things in and through them and it was disrupting the status quo. In Acts chapter 9, Saul gets knocked off his high horse. He has his name changed to Paul, and he starts preaching the gospel. And in the meantime, the disciple Peter, you remember Peter, the one that was always getting himself into trouble, putting his foot in his mouth, all of these things um, when he was walking with Jesus, when Jesus was on the earth. Peter is now the leader of this early church, and he's um, about to have an amazing move of God, which leads us into Acts chapter 10. And that's where we will be for the entirety of our service today. I'm going to read the whole chapter of Acts chapter 10. There's like, I think, 47 chapters. So buckle in, but we'll, we'll stop and make commentary as we go. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the entire Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Let me pause just right there and unpack this a little bit because Cornelius was a Gentile and he was a centurion, which means he was in charge of 100 um, people, 100 men in the, in the Roman army. And the unit he belonged to was a larger company of soldiers called the Italian Regiment. Now, it's important to note about Cornelius that he and his entire family, and even some of those that lived in the household with him, were devout and God-fearing. Now, what that means is they worshiped the God of the Bible, but they were not Jews. They weren't Jewish by heritage, but... Um, but they worship the God of the Bible. And interestingly enough, in those days, there were many Gentiles who were attracted to the simple monotheism, one God, worshiping one God, um, and the ethical standards of the Jewish way of life, as opposed to the polytheistic worship in the Roman temples and the lack of any kind of morals or values with which were a part of the um, Roman culture. However, <laughs> 
many Gentiles were not very keen on fully committing to Judaism, probably because the act of circumcision was a really large stumbling block and all the men in the house said amen, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> so the two biggest ways that Cornelius shows that he's devout and that he's God-fearing is listed here. One, he gave generously to those in need and two, he prayed regularly to God. He would pray at three o'clock in the afternoon which was a Jewish hour of prayer, the time when the Jews would go to the temple to offer evening sacrifices and incenses to God. And this is seen as we continue in verse three. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Now, when he said, Lord, that's just a sign of respect. It wasn't the Lord incarnate. It was very clearly an angel. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. I want us to notice here that um, Cornelius had some really quick obedience. How many of us, when God speaks something to us, we're like, mm, maybe I'll get to that in a day or two. But I, I love this example for us that when he got a vision, he's like, okay, I'm on it. And he did what, what this angel asked him to do. Now, the journey from Caesarea, where he lived, um, to Joppa was about 32 miles traveling south. So it would have required 16 hours of steady walking. That, this is co some commitment, right? So with some steps, with some rest stops along the way, they arrived in Joppa around noon the next day. Okay, let's pick up in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So I want to explain this just a little bit. Noon was another time where um, when Jews prayed. It wasn't a public time of prayer, but many devout Jews would stop and privately pray wherever they were going about their business at noon. So when, when Peter is praying, he sees a vision. And in this vision, he sees um, the heavens open, almost like the skies were pulled back and a large sheet was coming down by its four corners with all kinds of creatures that were considered unclean by the law of Moses. I have a Sunday school picture up here for us to, to get a picture of what this might look like. Now, you might be saying, okay, why is this so significant? And the reason why is because way back in the Old Testament, God had instructed Moses 
and Aaron on which animals the Israelites could eat and which ones they couldn't eat. And let me tell you, there was a lot more that they couldn't eat than they could eat. Um, this, these laws are quite detailed and extensive. You can read all about it in, in Leviticus um, 11 verses 1 through 47. And it just goes on and on about you can eat this, but you can't eat that, and you can't eat that, and you can't eat that. The basic law in, in verses 1 through 3 said, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. So if you can see this picture up here, all of these animals are, are, do not have that. We even see reptiles, we see birds, all different kinds of animals. So Peter was so ingrained in these laws because he was brought up as a really good Jewish boy. And so he would have never eaten anything like this. He would only have eaten the things that were um, okayed, kosher and okay for him to eat. So when, when God said this to him, he was not only shocked, he was also probably revulsed. Like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. But then the voice instructed him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And he said that three times. And anytime something is said more than once in scripture, it, it, every time it's said, more importance is put, put towards it. So this was very important message that God was sending to Peter. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. So this vision is about to come to life for Peter. God was preparing his heart to, to accept these Gentiles who were coming to get him to go on a journey with them and to go into a Gentile's house because that, again, was against the law of Moses. You were not even allowed to go into a Gentile's house. And Christ-following Jews of that day, which Peter was, um, still followed that, those laws. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure 
or unclean. So Peter is now referring to the vision that he had the day prior and and that God was showing him that he's not any longer going to be calling anyone impure meaning unwelcome among God's people. He's not going to call anyone unclean meaning unwelcome in God's presence. And this vision was the beginning of something new that God was doing. Because remember, just a short time prior, Jesus was on the earth. He died, um, rose again, and he made a way for everyone, for all people to have a relationship with him. However, there were still many societal, cultural, and religious structures that were hindering that from happening fully. And God is making a bold statement here. He is saying all people, truly all people were welcome in his family and in his kingdom. So Peter continues, he says, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. They were ready to hear from God, weren't they? Can't you just sense that they were just waiting, just so hungry to hear what Peter was going to say? And Peter, was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and ready to always speak on behalf of God, he was ready to preach the gospel of Jesus to them. So let's listen to Peter's message. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, And does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter's laying out a full gospel message here. He's telling the whole story of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter how many times we hear the gospel message, the story of Jesus, it never gets old. Even when we were singing some songs that Taylor was beautifully leading us in this morning, it just touches your heart to think about who Jesus is and what he has done. And it makes you love him even more. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now, Mark, this is a every 
preacher's dream, right? That when you're up here preaching to have the Holy Spirit fall when you're, when you're sharing the word, that's a dream come true for Peter. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So here again, we're seeing this isn't just for the Jewish, Jewish people. The Holy Spirit fell on Jewish people first and foremost, but now the Holy Spirit is falling upon Gentiles as well, which is thus proving that, that Jesus, God, salvation, the Holy Spirit is for truly everyone. Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that, that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This story is a full meal deal, isn't it? There's salvation, there's Holy Spirit baptism, and then there's water baptism. And this is really amazing and a powerful story of how the gospel was preached. And it's also the first recorded instance of non-Jewish people believing in and accepting Christ. And in addition to all of that, amazingness of what's going on in this story here. There's three important takeaways for us as a church as we are focusing on prayer and fasting during these 21 days. So the first takeaway for us as a church is it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Did you notice that this whole story started with prayer? The ver at the very beginning, we see Cornelius in prayer at three o'clock, the time when, when people prayed. And then just a couple, a couple verses later, we see Peter also in prayer, in a personal prayer time. This amazing thing happened because men were in prayer. God used the spiritual discipline of prayer to disseminate his plan for bringing salvation to the Gentiles. Plus, God spoke to both Peter and Cornelius through prayer. Cornelius saw that angel, and Peter had a vision while they were praying. When we pray, God not only listens God also speaks. And that's why it's important for us when we go to prayer that we leave some time in silence so that we can also hear what God is speaking to us. It's not just us laying out a laundry list of things. It's us being still and quiet and making room and, and even say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So it starts with prayer. I think we could even be so bold as to say it all starts with prayer. If you think about it, um, for those of us who are Christ followers here in the room, it, it could be anything. It starts with prayer is anything. And for probably most of us, even our relationship with Jesus started with prayer, right? By us saying, God, I accept you. I receive you. Forgive me of my sins. But it can be many things. Vision for your life starts with prayer. A divine appointment that comes, that changes the course of your life starts with prayer. Direction for the right job starts with prayer. Insight and wisdom to make good and godly decisions starts with prayer. Finding a godly spouse, navigating a tricky relationship, being Jesus with skin on in your community, it all starts with prayer. 
One of the things I have loved during this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting is just hearing personal stories of people who have been sharing with me things that have been going on in their lives during these 21 days um, of prayer, things that God's been doing in people, for people, through people. I was visiting with one of, uh, one of our sweet ladies here at the church this week, and she said, it sounds really simple, Kate, <laughs> But since I've started praying about a certain situation, God has been working in ways that he wasn't before. And I, I know that many of us can attest to that. There's been so many stories of that. So it starts with prayer. Fill in the blank with, with it, with whatever's going on in your life. It starts with prayer. The second thing that Acts 10 teaches us about prayer um, is that God remembers prayers of prayers. Now think about that for a minute. God remembers prayers of prayers. I want to look back at Acts 10, 3 and 4. It says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he, Cornelius, had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in, in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, I want to explain that term, memorial offering. It's very interesting because that term memorial offering is referring to an offering that was offered in the temple, in the Jewish temple, that Jewish people would make. And that type of offering was also combined with incense. And so when that offering was made, both the offering, the smoke from the offering and the incense would burn up and the aroma would go up into the presence of God. Okay, that, that's what, what that's about there. Now, I want you to stay with me here for a minute because since Cornelius was not of Jewish descent, he couldn't go into the temple. When all of the people were going at three o'clock to make those memorial offerings to God, Cornelius was banned from doing that. He was not allowed to go into the temple to make a memorial offering. But... The angel of God told Cornelius that his prayers, and let's also note it's not just prayers, but it's also his charitable giving, were received in the same way that a Jewish person's memorial was received. And I just think that that is so very beautiful because here again, we see that God is making a way for non-Jewish people to be in his presence and to have relationship with him. But if we look at the original language of verse 4, this gets even better. The word memorial here in verse 4 is the Greek word mene masunon. Mene masunon. And in this particular context in Acts 10:4, this word specifically means, and I quote, that part of a sacrifice which was burned on the altar together with frankincense, that's the incense, that its fragrance may ascend to heaven and commend the offerer to God's remembrance. To commend the offerer to God's remembrance. What that means is that when Cornelius prayed and gave gifts to the poor, it was like an offering to God that caused God 
to remember Cornelius. That fragrance would come up into his presence and it caused God to remember, hey, that's Cornelius that is offering this um, offering to me. So God not only remembers prayers, he remembers who prayed them. Our prayers, your prayers, my prayers, our joint prayers are like a sweet incense to God that causes him to remember us. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad to know that your devotion to God expressed by going to him in prayer, it it really means something to him. And there might be some weary person here today who, who needs to hear God say, I see you, I know you, I remember you. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, it says that God remembered people or God remembered their prayers. And if you were to do a study on that, that word remember, you would find that when God remembers something, it's with the intention to act. We can see this um, in the Old Testament. I'm thinking specifically of Hannah, who was a barren woman who wanted a child so badly. And one time she went into the temple and she prayed and the priest said to her, God has remembered your prayer. And that word remembered there means he, he has heard it, he's remembering it, and he's going to do something about it. That's what that word remember means. When you pray, God not only hears, he remembers both your prayers, but I believe this is showing us that he remembers you as well. Like, for example, someone maybe during this prayer and fasting time is praying for a job, and, and as, as they pray, they're... Um, prayers going up like incense and offering to God and God may be saying, there's, there's my son again. He's praying for a new job and I see his devotion to me by bringing this to me and trusting me with this. I love this son of mine so much. I'm about to do something about that prayer. God not only remembers prayers, God remembers prayers of prayers, you and me. The final point of application from the story and circling back to the opening story about the expired half and half, prayers don't have an expiration date. Think about this for a minute. When you pray, that prayer leaves your mouth or your heart and like a memorial offering, it ascends up to heaven and when it does, it enters a new realm and a new dimension that we call eternity. In eternity, there are no time restraints because heaven isn't bound by time like earth is. In Acts 10, an angel appeared to Cornelius while he was praying. Now, scripture doesn't tell us exactly what Cornelius was praying for, but if the angel's appearance and instruction to send for Peter are any indication, I think it could be easily implied that Cornelius was probably praying either for himself or for his family to know God better or to know more about God. Perhaps Cornelius was even praying for the men in his regiment to to know God. Maybe He was even lamenting the fact that religious protocol didn't allow him to go into the temple to offer sacrifices to God. And perhaps he was asking God to do something about it. 
When we talked earlier about how it starts with prayer, that's, this here is a pretty big it. It being the inclusion of Gentiles into God's plan of salvation. Because if, if we didn't have this, there's no you and me being here in this church right now, being able to have a relationship with God through Jesus. This was huge. This was revolutionary. This allows you and me to have salvation um, and, and every non-Jewish person to have salvation from that point till the end of time. Every time a non-Jewish person places their faith in Christ, these prayers are still being answered today. And although Cornelius eventually died, his prayers never did because prayers don't have an expiration date. My grandma used to regularly pray for Mark and I and for our ministry that God would bless us, that God would bless our ministry. Now, my grandma died a couple years ago, but Mark and I are still experiencing the blessing of God that she prayed over us. We as a church are still experiencing the blessing of God that she prayed over all of us. In his book, Draw the Circle, Mark Batterson tells the following story. Wayne's grandmother raised 12 children while managing their household. After every meal she prepared, she would go to her bedroom to pray. Three times a day, the children could hear her interceding for them by name. When she was on her deathbed at the age of 91, the entire family gathered at the family home. She invited them into the bedroom where she prayed three times daily. Then she prophetically de declared to her 12 children, I'm going to die, but the power of my prayers will come to pass in each of your lives. Her predominant prayer was that every member of her family would surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. At the time, six children were following Christ and six weren't. That was 15 years ago. The tally is now 10 yes and two no, or maybe I should say in faith, not yet. Wayne shared with me how the 10th, yes, the oldest child came to Christ. My grandmother's oldest son is named Johnny. A month ago, his next door neighbor had a dream in the middle of the night about Johnny. The neighbor felt compelled to invite him to church, and he accepted the invitation that Sunday, which happened to be Palm Sunday. When he walked into that church, all he could hear was his mother's voice calling out his name in prayer. The pastor asked if anybody wanted to put their faith in Jesus, and Johnny raised his 92-year-old hand. He got baptized the next week on, weekend on Easter Sunday. Now this is back to, to, the, to the author. He says, I did the math. Wayne's grandmother passed away when Johnny was 77 years old. From the day he was born until the day she died, she prayed for him three times a day. If you add it up, that is 84,315 memorial offerings. She didn't get to see the answers to, the, to her prayers on this side of the space-time continuum, but she will be one of the first people to greet her son when he steps into eternity. Our prayers don't die when we do. God answers them forever. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, it is. So it all starts with prayer. God remembers prayers of prayers and prayers do not have an expiration date. So what would it look like if we believed that it starts with prayer? 
before anything else, we would pray, right? That's right. Instead of using prayer as a um, break in, in case of emergency type situation, we'd go to prayer first. We'd go to God first through prayer. And if we really believe that it all starts with prayer, we would pray about everything from the smallest things to the biggest things. And that's what true communion is with God. It's having um, relationship with him all throughout our day, not just the big things we're going to him for, but the little things too, in that constant dialogue with him throughout the day. What difference does it make to believe that God remembers prayers of prayers? I think it connects our hearts to him even deeper. When we know that God remembers us as prayers of prayers, it connects us to the one who sees us, who knows us, who remembers us, and that really fosters a sense of intimacy with him. Now, as we've said many times, this 21 days of prayer and fasting, that's what this is all about. It's for us to grow in our intimacy and even in our devotion to God. I think it would also encourage us to keep praying, knowing that God remembers with the intention to act. God remembers with the intention to act. And finally, what would it look like if we fully grasped that our prayers don't expire, but they're imperishable? I think we'd be praying a whole lot more of them, right? While we're here on this earth. I think we, it would also open our spiritual eyes to look for and acknowledge answers to prayers that were prayed long ago. There's things that are happening in some of your lives today that are answers to prayer from people who have prayed many, many, many years ago. Some who have already passed on are, with G, are with Jesus. You are experiencing answers to prayer from people's prayers and those people who have passed on. But here's the thing. We, as we pray as well, our prayers will live on long after we do as well. And I don't know if that encourages anyone else, but it sure does encourage me. We're a week away from the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I just wanna encourage us to keep going, to keep going during this. And maybe you're here for the first time and you didn't even know that this was a thing that we were doing. It's not too late to start. You can pray for these this next week here. Pastor Mark said a few weeks ago when he was casting vision for these 21 days, you can do anything for, for 21 days, but imagine what God can do in 21 days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us and encourages us. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us to have relationship with your Father. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are amongst us. And I believe that you are speaking to each one of us very intentionally and very clearly right now. And we just want to take a moment to 
um, respond to what you may be speaking to us. For those of us who haven't thought to pray about something, it could be something big or something little, we just take a minute to, to bring that before you now. Thank you for the reminder that this all starts with prayer. Anything starts with prayer. It all starts with prayer. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are bringing encouragement to people's hearts right now that you remember their prayers. And not only do you remember their prayers, you remember them. You, you see us, you know us, you remember. And when you remember, it's with the intention to act and to do something about it. So I thank you for that, Lord. And finally, Lord, um, our prayers don't have an expiration date because they go up into eternity and eternity is not bound by time. Thank you for answers to prayer that we're seeing in our lifetime or are yet to see in our lifetime because someone faithful in our life, faithful to you, um, prayed for us. And God, we just want to say that we want to be those people too. <laughs> we want to be the people who are lifting um, people and situations and our community and our nation and the world up to you. That's part of our job as Christ followers. You told us in, in Matthew 6, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And so may there be just an increased hunger in our hearts to um, connect with you through prayer. Thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. And may we take it and apply it to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, we're going to have some people up here that would pray, would love to pray with you. If there's something going on that you're like, you know, I just, I've been praying about this for a long time. I just love a brother or sister to pray with me about that. We would love to pray with you. Always remember that Jesus loves you very much. And so do Mark and I. Have a great, have a great week.